0: With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, we are back. We are back. So got a quick little review of the week for you. And uh, this one comes in from RJ. RJ says, five stars, great podcast, great guy. Nice title. I like it. So Dan is such a great representative of this journey of Christian dads. Dan's interviews are so relaxed and just get to the real conversations. So thanks RJ third is technically how he signed in. So appreciate that. Uh, Let's rock guys. Let's rock. So Appreciate you guys uh, throwing the reviews in there, hitting the five stars, uh, checking out the YouTube, whatever it is that you guys do and stay engaged and continually listen to old episodes. It uh, always cracks me up when I see like episode seven and people are listening to that one. So thanks guys for just uh, binging these things and and knocking through them. So it's uh, pretty cool to see. And oh, but I wanted to mention, we've got like a number of listeners from Australia coming out of the woodwork. So uh, it's kind of funny how how this thing spreads around the world, but Australia's like the newest one that's kind of on fire down there. So hello to all you Aussies. So let's jump on in. So today we have got a guest that I've been waiting to have on for quite some time. Why this hasn't uh, come together sooner, I have no idea, but when these things come together, it's always wonderful. So today we've got Michael Burke, or I, I call him Mike. Mike Burke. He is the author of a book called Waiting to Die, Running to Live. He's a nine-time marathoner, 20-time half marathoner, and he's been named one of the top 100 people to know in St. Louis. And Also, he was diagnosed to be dead when he was a little kid. However, he is now, how old are you?
1: Old enough to have all this. <laughs> fifty three. I'm fifty three. Okay.
0: So he's got a uh, a nice little beard working today, and he's got a lot of gray in it, guys. A lot of gray in it.
1: <laughs> I'm and I'll take these crow's feet. I'll take it all.
0: Absolutely, yeah, for you, absolutely, because you weren't supposed to live past the
1: age of five to seven.
0: Five to seven years old.
1: Yeah, yeah. When I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. At one year old, uh, the average kid was living just past, you know, five.
0: That's crazy. So,
1: totally childhood disease. No teenagers. No adults.
0: So I haven't ever introduced anybody on the podcast. So, by the way, welcome to the Journey with Christian Dad <laughs> podcast.
1: Thanks,
0: Dan. <laughs> I haven't ever said, "Hey, you were supposed to be dead when you were a kid." <laughs>
1: Well, good. getting that's not common. Get it kicked
0: off on like a super positive note, but
1: <laughs> right,
0: you know, you kept living past your life expectancy. Uh, you were diagnosed with CF cystic fibrosis, which yeah. back when you were diagnosed, it truly was a death sentence, like nobody made it past that.
1: Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, yeah number one genetic killer of children and there was just such minimum knowledge about it there was really no medicine specifically designed for it so we were borrowing from whatever they could find that was working so yeah it was uh, it was grim i mean there's kind of no no way around that but uh you know as we'll talk about things don't always work out the way the data says it's going to work out
0: that's right. That's right. So what was, as a kid, what was it like knowing that you were going to be dead? Or do you even remember much of that?
1: So uh, when it hit me, I, I was a little older. I was 15 because uh, I didn't know how sick I was as a baby. I was really, really sick as an infant. And then with some medical intervention and some daily therapy from my parents, I started thriving and uh, I played soccer and, you know, basketball and backyard football with my brothers. And I didn't realize I was sick, but I coughed a lot. I could just have this underlying cough. Uh, I took 10,000 pills a year just to digest food. And I had this daily therapy regimen where my dad would, he would lay me across his lap and, and beat on me. Like they, they call it postural drainage. And he would do this 800 times a night. It would make me cough and get the deadly stuff out of my lungs. But I still didn't think I was abnormal or abnormal, because uh, nobody made a big deal about it. Nobody's parents made a big deal about it. My buddies really didn't ask. But you know, when you go to high school, you need a bunch of new kids. And everyone was asking, you know, why do you go in the hospital every year? You know, what's up? What's with all the pills and the cough? And so I had to tell them. And I got curious like every 15-year-old would, and I read all about CF, the things that were never spoken about, and uh, I read my life expectancy had been increasing, but it was still just 18 years old. So at 15, I read um, well beyond the initial expectations and that the current life expectancy is 18. And so that began my real journey with CF, that that the mental journey, the mental and emotional journey began at that moment.
0: What happened when you realized you had three years to live or two and a half years to live?
1: Uh, You know, I I was always a happy kid, Uh, engaged with friends and things that I enjoyed, but it really sank in that I had a short time to live, or so I thought. And for me, it, it was like this if it's not fun, don't do it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, fortunately for me, I like to work. I worked at a golf course all through high school. So I kept engaged in life that way. But when it came to school or anything else that wasn't fun, I didn't do it uh, because I just couldn't see the value. In you know, pursuing things that were difficult, like school, because, I mean, what was the point? I wasn't going to go to college. I wouldn't be around for that. I wouldn't have a career. You know, it just, my mind really started laying some uh, tricks on me about the future. And I just got real short-term thinking. And, and again, the biggest, the biggest thing was, if it's not fun, I'm not doing
0: it. How far off the rails did you go when I'm thinking... With the quote, if it's not fun, don't do it.
1: <laughs> Bad. I mean, I went to school. I didn't skip school, but I mean, I did the absolute minimum. You know, I, I was a C, D student, just enough to get by. And um,
0: that was the first thing I thought of was, you know, to heck with studying, to heck with.
1: Yeah. And I didn't enjoy it. And I didn't like it. I wasn't a great student. So that was the first thing that went away. Like, forget it. And uh, but what's interesting about that, Dan, is when I got properly challenged uh, by a couple teachers, you know, in really hard classes that somehow I got into, I got A's and B's. So those were glimpses uh, that would come into play later. But yeah, uh, school suffered the most, and then relationships suffered. Like girls, I just really wondered. I'm like, man, I cough, uh, I have di- digestion problems, and that you can imagine what that scenario is like. Uh, I'm like, what girl's going to want to be with me? You know, this whole mess. And uh, plus I'm not going to live very long. So that was the second big thing that suffered. And uh, but day to day, I was good, happy, had fun, you know, with my buddies. Uh, but when it came time to make bigger decisions, I had this real short life expectancy. It popped up. So day to day, I was pretty good. Uh, but when it came to bigger decisions. It really, really affected me. Such as? Oh, uh, my father, I had three older brothers and they all went to college. And my dad went back to college after working in the workforce for a while. So college was important to our family. And he asked me one night, are, are you, where are you going to college? And I said, well, I'm not going to college. And, of course, he was shocked to hear that and said, well, why? I was like, well, what's the point? I'm going to be dead in two years. So now we're at 18. We flash forward at 18, but the life expectancy is still just like 20. And then really there's there's no one older than uh, me by a few years. There's no 30, 40, 50-year-olds. And so um, my dad, who was just amazing, very direct, but loving – he le- I mean, he leaned into the table and sorry for the cursing guys, but he said, bullshit, Michael, you're going and you're going to do well. And he was like, he's almost like, you got that you're going and you can do well. So he snapped me out of this uh, little short term or short sightedness I had and I did go to college and I did do well. I mean, far exceeded what I thought I would ever do. And I uh, graduated from a four-year college in, in four years. Wow. You know, right on time. I took, I got a little behind, you know, because I was bad at math. So I had to make that up. And the last semester I had, I had graduate level classes because I was a little behind. And I had to graduate on time. So they let me into graduate level classes. And I got a 4.0 that semester. Nice. So, you know, what I discovered from that is a, a good challenge works for me. Uh, a good challenge kept me focused on something positive instead of dwelling on the, all the what-ifs of cystic fibrosis. And, uh, yeah, so it was it was dad, and he was always, kind of always the one who was my big encourager. So
0: I heard two things. We just had John O'Leary on not too far back amazing podcast if you haven't listened to that one people jump on that one um but he he said you know i was burned all over my body so how could i possibly be uh attractive to girls Uh, you know that guy girl thing that happens in high school and and junior high and stuff he's like that was tough for me that was tough for me to navigate like the confidence the i just really didn't want to go there because you know who would love a you know, guy who's burned over hundred percent of his body. And then the other thing was the massive influence his parents had on him. Uh, when he was young, he wanted to just sort of uh, get by. Well, because he was disabled, you know, he didn't have hands. He, and his mom said, you're an O'Leary. We play piano. Therefore you're going to learn to play piano. But my, I got no hands. Right. Right. <laughs> and there's your piano teacher. She's at the door. Practice starts now. Yeah. You know, no choice. So no. with your dad saying college and you're going to do good. You know, basically we're Burks, and this is what we do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they had, mom and dad had their own fears when I was little, way, way back. They wouldn't let me play outside, because the kids who were passing away of CF were passing away of lung infections, you know, germs. Yeah. So I, I was being sheltered heavily and my dad just couldn't take it anymore. Right, He was an active guy, played high level soccer, was asked to trial for Olympic team. Right. So seeing his little boy inside, not, not playing anything while his older brothers are out in the backyard, it was too much for him. So he finally got the courage to let me, go play. And, you know, as it were, I fell down, I got muddy, and he got scared, but he stopped himself from coming out and getting me. So he had his own fears to overcome first. Because if you're, you know, fear, uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, calls fear the thief of joy. Yeah. It's also the thief of moving forward. So, you know, you you could imagine what I've ever done, any of the cool stuff I did, Uh, and live this long life if my dad would have remained in fearful protecting me instead of letting me blossom. So he had he mom and dad had to overcome their fear.
0: What was that feeling when dad opened the back door?
1: Oh (laughs) so you know my brothers are outside with the whole all the neighborhood boys are playing like football like uh, not like all any rules football, but the dummy who picks up the dummy who dares to pick up the football is going to get murdered. Right. And then the, the next kid picks up the ball and it's just this thing. So I was just watching through the glass window, you know, and my dad's watching me and he, he goes, go get ready. And it, it was like liberation. And he opened that door and I shot out into that melee of boys and Properly got crushed, you know. I mean, got nailed. My oldest brother's eight years older than me. So one of the bigger boys just crushed me. But, you know, that was the game. And I got muddy and, you know, the mud and the bruise, there was badges of honor. (laughs) You know, you're hanging with the big boys. So it felt really good. And then uh, my brothers always included me. I was still a little bratty little brother, but they included me in everything. So it was really good. And I really maintained that that was the moment that was really one of the key moments in my life growing up, him dropping that fear, you know, and I know we're, we're talking with some Christian dads and and I was raised in a very Christian household, went to 12 years of private schooling, you know, to Catholic school. And, uh, that was a part of our life. And, uh, I think what he did is he he got beyond what was not of God, fear, and tapped into, you know, purpose and passion and his values, right? He really knew what was important in life, and sheltering his boy wasn't one of those.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be a tough thing to do, that's for sure.
1: I I mean, it was scary, it was scary, Dan. I mean, their, their, their kids were not doing well. And my mother would have to go down to the clinic every, I've been to the doctor every three months of my life. And there were kids not coming back from those quarterly visits. So this is really fresh. and This doesn't go away in my parents' mind. So it really took a lot for them to overcome this whole thing. I'm just so proud of them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It takes a lot as a parent. And often you just are in fear. So you just don't think past it. So we're going to talk about some things uh, here in just a bit that address that uh, fear and recognizing thoughts and how to take those thoughts and transform them. So um, before we dive into that, had a quick thought on your college experience. So that first little semester, second semester kind of thing, kids often uh, botch that up in the most big time way. Because uh, they're not prepared. So did your dad give you any guidance on that first or second semester?
1: Well, what was interesting is I, I tested into, well, first of all, I, I didn't have any kind of grades to get into a four-year school. So I went to community college the first two years, which was fine. It was cheaper. and um, But I tested into some remedial stuff, remedial math and remedial English. The math I understood, like I knew I was bad at math, but English? So I said, Dad, I'm testing in the remedial English in the first two days of class. We're we're uh, diagramming sentences, verbs, nouns. I'm like, I learned that in the third grade with Sister Patricia. I know how to put together a sentence. He goes, well, go to the dean and tell him you, you're, you know this. I'm like, I can't go to the dean. He's like, yeah, you can and do it. So I went to the dean. I'm like, you know, Dean Boyer. Um, Wow, this is I am way beyond this. What can I do? And so he said, "Well, Michael, write me a write me a a one page document what you did this summer, and we'll see if you can put together a sentence." (laughs) And of course, I did. You know, I knew I I just didn't test very well. But I all all of that time I didn't pay attention in high school, in grade school. I guess I did. So uh, what that taught me is one, you can be assertive. You can ask for what you want. Uh, Two, I was a lot smarter than I ever gave myself credit for. And my dad had not one doubt about it. So what I I quickly picked up is dad's awfully confident in me. (laughs) I don't see why that is, but he sees it. So I started borrowing his confidence, his belief.
0: I'm glad you said that because I was going to emphasize that.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Our belief and our confidence in our kids, they can borrow and then they can transform and step into confidence. So it's so critical that we speak into their life and tell them things like, You can do this. You are going to do this. I believe in you. Like God said that to his own son. Like, so let's continue that tradition and lift our kids up. So that's huge. Uh, so it's really, really cool to hear your dad was a massive encourager for you.
1: He was all, all the time. I mean, it was nonstop with him.
0: Should yep. we jump into, uh, fast forward a little bit and get into marathon running and yeah.
1: crazy bicycling
0: so, events and everything Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and this is really one of the first points I want to make too about what's going on in our mind. So I go to college, I did well. I worked for American Express Financial Advisors right out of college, did well with that, but I was restless, right? One of these one of these little tricks of the mind, which we call saboteurs, is restless, where you're never happy with where you're at. The grass is green or somewhere else. And I had a strong restless saboteur in my mind because I'm still in this short timeframe. And so I wanted to pack life in and so I moved to Colorado on a whim, and um, I I got a new new you know new life, um, new career, all of that, and I started doing really really good in my career, moving around the country. And uh, after a few years of that, it caught up. You know, I wasn't taking care of my body. Uh, I was a, the youngest director of sales for Omni Hotels, so I was doing really good on that end, but the body came crashing in. Because I wasn't taking the medicine. I didn't want to go to the doctors. I didn't want to think about it. And that's another saboteur of the mind we call the avoider. I didn't want to think about the hard stuff. So again, if it wasn't fun and exciting, I wasn't paying attention to it. So um, I did. I got really sick twice within just a few short years. And um, uh, right before going from Richmond, Virginia, To uh, Detroit for my last hotel assignment, I was asked to give a speech at a um, CF event. And I was ignoring the whole thing. So I had to go find out, you know, what the charitable little thing, what what charity was going on, what research was going on. And oh, by the way, what's the life expectancy? And (laughs) I was within my birth month. So rolling up on my 30th birthday. And I read the life expectancy was 28. I have finally leapfrogged my life expectancy and the light bulb went off. I heard these voices in my head that said, you're going to die young. You're going to suffer before you die. What girl would want to be with you? And how are you going to bring value to the world? And being a young guy in his twenties and making some good money. I didn't have a problem with the girls, even with this face. Right. So that was a big lie. Um, I was a, a very successful financially providing tremendous value. Lie number two. Uh, I was nowhere near dead and I only suffered when I didn't take the medicine and go, didn't go to the doctor. So I, these saboteurs of my mind, these lies, Uh, were running my life into the ground, particularly my health. And and it finally got so bad, I I had to leave that hotel business to move back to St. Louis to really start taking care of my body because I was sick. Creating the things I fear. Yes. Divorced, right? Because I wouldn't talk about it. And, you know, when someone dives into this challenge with you, you got to talk about it. But I didn't want to. So all my little saboteurs were creating the very outcomes I feared, and that's the that's the self fulfilling prophecy of these uh, uh, patterns of our mind, our negative patterns of our mind.
0: So, uh, so you mentioned needing to talk about it. In in yeah. this case, you mentioned your marriage. So I just recently had a, a guy who shared a ton with me about loss and. Um, raising a a daughter, a couple daughters, and going through difficult times with teenagers and all these different things. And unfortunately, uh, and and he's been super open with a whole bunch of people and really helped them become better parents and better communicators and connect better with their kids. And unfortunately, just a couple days ago, his 19-year-old daughter died in a car accident. And with that, um a whole bunch of us were posting on his facebook page and i my main comment to him was please keep talking to the guys that you talk to please keep opening up please let us know how your journey's going and um that none of us you know we all love him and none of us want him to sh- to carry this burden by himself he's actually not christian so he doesn't have, he doesn't have Christ. He doesn't have the Lord to carry his burden for him or to help carry his burden or any of that. So like mm-hmm. uh, my, my fear is that he'll go into isolation. He'll go into avoidance and something you and I have done for nine weeks. Yeah. So I've been doing uh, something called positive intelligence training or mental fitness or uh, what was the word you used today? Thought command. <laughs> so we've been kind of taking some of these biblical principles. Uh, it, the the place we got it from or you got it from that you shared with me isn't necessarily a biblical source. However, as I started trusting you and said, if you're this into it, there's something to this. I read the book and thought, oh, it's a really good book, but I need some help implementing and As I read the book, I saw so many biblical similarities. So I said, hey, would you come on and share a little bit about what we've done, the coaching that you do? And by the way, the topic of the podcast is the journey of a Christian dad podcast. So as you're prepping to be interviewed, tell us tell us kind of what you've gone through and what you've discovered and thought through and all that.
1: Yeah. So returning to the story real quick, I heard my thoughts. And I didn't want to be directed by them anymore. So, and I needed to take care of my body. So, I moved back home. And the way that I got healthy was running marathons. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to tie that up. So, it comes definitely into play here because my thoughts would have said, well, you've got CF, you have damaged lungs, you don't digest food. What makes you think you could run a marathon? But because I had heard this negative chatter, I could do something about it. I didn't want to be directed by that. So I set the biggest goal I could imagine, which was running a full marathon with damaged lungs and uh, bad nutrition. But it was this huge purpose and passion, right? And and that purpose and passion was really taking control of my life, what I could control. And with that, my, my thinking started to shift big time from limitations to possibilities. See, purpose and passion is just a different way to be motivated than fear. And with purpose and passion, my mind really opened up. How do I take this medicine better? Is there a way I can take it that the doctor doesn't even know about? What food can I eat that's easily digestible that then a marathoner could benefit from? So I got super creative and flexible and adapting in my thinking because I wasn't being driven by this negative stuff. Anxiety, fear, sadness, disappointment, anger. So um, my mind opened up and so did my heart. It, it It is no mystery that when I made this very, when I heard the voices and changed my perspective to what's possible, is when I met my second wife now of 20 years, it's when I started, and when I made myself accessible to people with cystic fibrosis, I was an old man at 30, 31. I was an old guy and successful and now healthy. And parents were looking to like, they wanted their kids to see that. And so I started sharing my story and then that blossoms. And then now people are looking to you because you're this positive light. And I, that wasn't my intention But this is what happens when you turn to the light driven by purpose, passion, awe, joy, instead of the other stuff, you're magnetic. Those saboteurs of the mind are not magnetic. So um, uh, PBS did a documentary and I was featured in that like news five and channel four and two, they all picked up this story and this is Also, at the very same time, when I took CF from a curse to a blessing, I had a dear friend that I went to grade school and high school with, and he was always a a good, engaged Christian man his whole life. And I wasn't. I really let CF interfere with the whole idea of God. And he kept inviting me on a retreat. I was like, I'm not going to this thing. You know, I'm not even sure what I'm sure of. And, but I saw something in him, we had a business together and I saw something changing in him and it's like, well, okay, I'll give it a, I'll give it a whirl. And it was a, this beautiful weekend retreat. And at the end of that retreat, we were to say one prayer, kind of wrap up our whole experience. And it just, a very emotional moment out of me gushed gratitude. And I couldn't believe the words coming out, you know, well, the thoughts coming out of my mind, because it was a, you know, uh, alone time in chapel. And it was the CF thing has been the blessing of a lifetime. Look how much love you've received. And I mean, real deep love sacrificial kind of stuff. Look at the charity. I mean, so much money raised because my, people knew my parents, my brothers and myself, Uh the, Although I had, did, I figured out girls a little later, none of them were scared of CF. Not one of them said, no, I don't want to be with you because of that. It was actually just kind of the opposite. And I had to manage that. Like they were super attractive. So I had to decide, is that real or is that not real? And then would I have ever once had a desire to run a marathon, much less nine, much less an Ironman without CF, without something there? That really gave me a sense of how precious life was. I don't know. But what I do know is that moment I changed the whole perspective on this curse of a lifetime. And it became a blessing of a lifetime.
0: And now with your coaching, you're able to help people navigate thoughts, super challenging ones like that. Like that one's a tough one to overcome.
1: Yeah. So we call that that turning. We call that the sage perspective. My saboteur was all fearful about the whole CF thing, right? It's curse, it's curse, it's curse. The wisdom inside of me, the being who I am, I know that might be a little woo-woo for people, but the person I was created to be knows better, right? Knows that life is precious and people are amazing and really difficult things are not to be brawled with, but we we surf our challenges because they're there. We can't fight what's out of our control. So we control our thoughts, which direct our actions, and we can learn to do that. You don't have to go decades of hard knocks to get these lessons. We can do it in as quick as six weeks to literally change, uh, upgrade, or up-level, if you will, our mind which gives us the thought command, which allows us to turn real difficult stuff into gifts and opportunities. And then, and then take inspired action. What I mean by that is CF was such a bummer and I allowed it to hold me back for so long. And then when that click happened and that blessing thing happened, I started running and I started living all of life completely happiness still maintained success relationships right relationships blossomed and i became more of uh the child of god that
0: i am yeah absolutely so some of the thoughts i had were uh like romans 12 2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of god what is good and acceptable and perfect without being able to recognize that a thought came in that's maybe destructive, maybe a lie, maybe a, the word you use saboteur, something that's going to take you down. It's like, well, what can I do to one recognize? And then two, what can I do to take captive and transform? Like I need some tools, some help. Some of the stuff that comes in is you know, maybe a, uh, there's a book, John A. Cuff, he calls it soundtracks. It's something that we've said over and over and over and over and over again, and it just is. It's not even uh, something that we question because it's just part of who we are. Uh, before we jumped on, I was talking about your website and your little intro blurb you have and different things. I say, hey, you didn't even mention CF. And you're like... <laughs> Well, some days that's kind of a part of me. And other days I sort of just forget.
1: Hmm. I I so closely aligned with CF when I was young. Anything that it just felt like an attack if someone said something about CF. So I, I had to separate my being from this thing. I am not the disease. The disease is in my body. It's in my lungs and my digestive system, but it's not who I am. It it helped me become the person I am, but it did, doesn't make me who I am. And, uh, you know, there's that philosoph- philosophical thing. I am what my thoughts are, or I am my thoughts. Well, that's not exactly true, because what if your thoughts are really terrible thoughts? Are you a terrible person just because you have a terrible thought? Well, yeah. So we, so we <laughs> look... You know, because we keep
0: telling ourselves. So like, well,
1: that's what we think that that is an automatic pattern of the mind where we so closely associate our being with our thoughts. But our being is something much deeper than our Hmm. thoughts and emotions. And it's even much deeper than our actions. It's it's at the core what the greatest things that we can accomplish in life come from our being Our being directs our doing if we know how to command our mind and have a sage perspective and, and know who we are with something, Dan, we call Dan, uh, you might remember the navigate power. You know, we have these five sage powers and it's basically operating life through the lens of a child of God, not something else, not something of God move through life with the values of Christian values.
0: You were going through your your list earlier—anger, anxiety, all these things that God says, "No, be not afraid." You know, three hundred sixty-five times there's "be not afraid" or "don't be anxious." You know, "don't fear." On and on, and on all over the place. And as you were uh, doing your prep work, you told me that I did just a quick Google search to find a couple Bible quotes about the mind, and you go, "It was too many." It was. Through, it was littered throughout the Bible it was everywhere
1: yeah. everywhere and and the the recurring message you know it's not a it's not a, a scientific message like we do in positive intelligence but this is what I love about the work I do with positive intelligence and mental fitness it's ancient knowledge it's nothing new we just have learned. Oh, which is what I believe is the body was created by God. So when we learn new techniques of how to grow gray matter and retrain our mind, we're just tapping into something that's always been there. This knowledge that we pass along uh, was discovered by a man, Sherzad Shameen, and uh, he's just the one who put it all together. And if you ask him in a business setting, he doesn't bring up spirituality and, and things like that, but us coaches, when we get our time with him, it's very much about spirituality. It's about self-actualization and becoming the person who you were born to be. It's just, you know, in corporate America, we can't talk like that, right? So uh, between you and me and the the men here uh, on the podcast, that's what it is.
0: So something I hear a lot, well, to throw a label on it to make you sound important as coaches. You call yourself, a, or not saying you call yourself, however, a title in the world is executive coach. You're right. You know, uh, we could own our little small business where it's just one person and we're the CEO of our small business. Uh, my wife jokes around. Uh, she sometimes uses the title, What do you do for a living? And sometimes she'll respond, with, Well, I'm an estate manager. That's awesome. I take the kids to school. I bring them home.
1: Right, right. <laughs> do some other
0: things, you know. But uh, you know, it's it's so funny how people get wrapped up in in identity and that kind of thing. But uh, so executive coach. So let's say we're we're talking to the CEO, the COO of you know a bigger company, somebody with fifty employees, five hundred employees, whatever. They have the same challenges that guys that are you know whatever your job title is uh you know years ago I used to sell furniture sell electronics used to manage a retail sales floor so I certainly was not an executive however I had the same challenges that CEOs and executives have mm-hmm. uh, often we isolate we go solo our thoughts run rampant the economy is about to fall off a cliff therefore we're all losing our jobs the store is going to close the factory is going to close the whatever and mm-hmm. we go I was just talking to a buddy of mine yesterday and he he runs a very successful company and he has for a super long time houses paid off boats paid off you know (laughs) he's got it made and he's like man I've got all this anxiety and I don't know if I've ever told you this but I've got this disorder and this thing and I'm seeing a psychologist and man we had a breakthrough today and what I've discovered is I always go worst case scenario always go worst case scenario so if I've got my plans together. And I'm like, no, you're you're a great planner. Like, you're really detailed, organized. Like, that's a huge strength of yours. He goes, nah, the problem is let's talk later tonight. And maybe my wife is out of town and she's doing stuff and the call doesn't come when I think the call is going to come in. And I wait, wait, wait. And of course, next thing you know, she's kidnapped and they've taken her to Mexico <laughs> he goes i go all the way worst case scenario and then that just overcomes me i'm like no way not you super successful you know life's great person he goes man i my thoughts man they get to me so i'm doing this and this and this to get this figured out so i'm introducing him to positive intelligence also and like this will be fun going on this little journey with him and helping him through this it's something i had no clue so
1: yeah it's uh we've trained, we've retrained the mind of world-class athletes, CEOs and their executive teams, 500,000 people in 50 countries took part in this research. And it is a, it is just a brain development issue. And it's just the way our brain develops. There's no, you know, it wasn't my parents' fault that I had these saboteurs, it wasn't even, uh, it was nobody's fault. It was just the way our, bri- our brain is wired to find what's wrong with things.
0: Ah, I'll go I'll back up. It was Adam's fault. Thank you. <laughs> it right? was Adam's fault. It was not Eve's fault. It was Adam's fault. He should have stepped in and said, no, this is not good.
1: He wasn't leading. Right. Yeah. He
0: wasn't leading. He wasn't protecting. He was passive. Right. And then... That allowed us to have a bent towards negativity and allow these thoughts. And that's where the devil got his foothold. And he throws a lot of these thoughts in our head.
1: That's right. So that's a really good way to, to think about the difference between a productive thought, a thought of a godly thought, or something else. So if I could... If the audience could just do this, they will excel, accelerate their life in so many ways. When a negative thought or emotion occurs, if they're in that negative emotional state for more than one second, that's not of God. All we need is an alert. Whatever fear, anger, disappointment, blame, shame... One second is all you need for you to go home. Huh, I wonder if there's something I need to be aware of. It's when we stick in that. It's when we stay in that. That's what's not of God is staying in that. Because that's anti-love. There's we're, we're motivated by two things, fear or love. Yes. That's everything. All the subtleties fall between fear and love.
0: Something I love about the system, that positive intelligence system is it boils down to like the simplest things. So fear and love, simple. You know, there's with fear, there's all these things, you know, background, history, your own upbringing, interactions you had, all that. But at the core of it, fear. And right. on the opposite side, you know, same thing with love, your experiences, all those type different things that go into it. You're talking about the one second thing. So Todd Stottlemyre, uh former uh, world series champion, uh-huh. starting pitcher, dad was Mel Stottlemyre, the Yankees. He right. uh, had some extreme emotional issues, extreme anger issues. And it, it came down to the fact that in his mind, he told himself the truth that he killed his brother. Uh-huh. It's not what happened at all. he donated bone marrow which then was rejected by his brother's body and his brother brother did die however if he hadn't donated the bone marrow his brother would have had no hope and you know that kind of thing but in his kid mind his kid mind went to i killed my brother and he felt guilty about it all his life and had these anger issues and so he calls a famous sports psychologist harvey and harvey says i've been waiting for your call (laughs) and the thing harvey did was he said you know, go around with a little notebook. And every time you have a emotion, think about it for a second, write it down. Mm-hmm. Just do that. Just do that. Just do that. And then they talked about it and he goes, ultimately, I was able to capture those thoughts, recognize that they weren't true. And I was able to transform them with, with the psychologist's help. And that's really what this is, is help us have productive thoughts, which then rewires our brain to have more productive thoughts, which then allows us to Uh, think in our creative space in order to think with hope in order to think with possibility Uh, words we use are gifts and opportunities so something shows up and we're challenged by it whatever that is and instead of going to our negative thinking instead of shrinking small the languages in order the saboteur the judge coming in and Bringing us into a challenge space where you can't think well, like it, like when you're in extreme fear, you're backed into a corner, and your only option is one thing. Nah, when you're feeling good and the sun is shining and everything's going well, you you've got a lot more choices and options, and can think a lot differently. And in the we call it PQ positive, short for positive intelligence. That allows you to get into your sage brain or that abundance mindset. However, you can't get there until you unlock yourself. You get out of that negative space. So in order to do that, you've got to stop. You've got to do something to transform the space that you're in, kind of open up to possibility. And it can be a massive challenge to think about something negative comes in or something we perceive to be negative unlock your mind and to think where's the gift and opportunity in this horrible thing, whatever this horrible thing is, you know, uh, maybe it's the fact that, uh, uh, they don't have cheeseburgers. They're out of cheeseburgers at the restaurant, <laughs> but where's the gift and opportunity? Hey, I never should have ordered that cheeseburger anyway. I should have gone. No, that's the
1: right. <laughs> the cholesterol machine. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny, dude, you, you joke, we're joking about something trivial like cheeseburger, but when we're already stressed out, that's something that simple can turn us on our ears. And you've seen it at restaurants and in public, people getting upset about nothing. Somebody
0: shot somebody in the drive-thru because there wasn't like ice cream or something. That's right.
1: So this is just, yes, people not understanding that want you know, making mountains out of molehills. That's an analogy we use a lot. Uh, because I have just seen the biggest challenges of a lifetime. People take this perspective that there's a gift and opportunity within that. Uh, you know, we also uh, something that is alignable to that is uh, things happen for a reason, or uh, this is God's plan, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, look on things it's very similar to this perspective that we're asking people to take and
0: he uses all things for the good
1: uses all things for good now the challenge in that is it's a little passive we might just say that and then let our minds stay negative yes okay. he uses so, all things for the
0: good not this right? thing i can't see that this thing's good this thing's horrible
1: right so we stick with and it's very mysterious like well, what, what did God want me to get from this? It, it's, it's a little too like big and uh, vague. Vague. Okay. And we can then get stuck in like why, the why, why, why question is almost impossible to answer. So if we say, let's boil this down to something simpler. Are there any gifts from this? Are there any gifts from this at all? that's different than why did it happen it you were talking about radical simplification of something huge what's the gift well i learned something that's a gift uh i am responding with some level of hope that's a gift what's the opportunity i'm dying of cancer what's my opportunity to give back, to raise money, to live these last moments of life to the fullest, where I once took them for granted. There's always a gift and opportunity, and those are more easily accessible when you ask that question versus the bigger question of why did God want this from me? And so what I like about this gift and opportunity question is it, it narrows our brain in a positive way this time, to just look for possible gifts and opportunities. And I see it every day with uh, even parents who lost their child to CF. They keep raising money and, you know, that's the the opportunity that this will never happen for, you know, other children. I mean, man, if you can do that, I think you can just about do anything. If you can find that perspective after losing a child, I think you can probably put good perspective
0: on anything. Yeah, absolutely. It the people possible. that have gone through that and you see joy on their face these days, I'm like, wow, that is amazing. I've met a number of different ones and often they're Christians and often they have hope in something bigger. So that's um, it's cool. And I, we've interviewed uh, uh, the grief guru, on the podcast and she's one of them and uh, amazing amazing man i was crying when i was interviewing her she was oh the story was unreal and then she's got some fabulous things to walk through it um so a couple couple bible verses i wanted to hit was second uh, corinthians 10 5 it says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So I'm like, this is just a powerful tool to help us make the thoughts obedience to Christ. When you're going through that laundry list of negative negativity, I thought about uh, Philippians uh, 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable— if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put it into practice and the god of peace will be with you what a promise that god will be with you and so that's why i'm so passionate about this topic is once you change the way you think, you'll change the way you live. Once you change the way you live, others will start saying, Hey, how'd you change the way you lived? And then you can say, I changed the way I think. And you can then introduce the topic of faith, of you know, what have you. Um, but you got to meet them where they're at. It's oftentimes too, you know, difficult to hit them over the head with a Bible and then they go, Oh, yeah, I get it. Like that one right. typically right. doesn't work. So what you and I are looking to do is put together a group coming up sometime here in the nearer future and have a group of guys from Journey of a Christian Dad to jump in and literally transform our thoughts. So um, if you guys are interested, uh, just hit me up, uh, PM me or uh, the the Christian Dad podcast at gmail.com. Shoot me a comment. Uh, glad to touch base with you, Give you a little bit more information Michael's information is going to be in the show notes and everything hit him up as well he certainly does do private coaching in addition to group coaching Uh, he's phenomenal he's coached a number of different guys that I know him and I have just gone through a coaching program together and he helped me get a lot of these tools in my belt and be able to put them into practice so uh, I can't say enough good things about what I've learned going through that and look forward to sharing them not only with others in the business world, but my wife and my kids and my softball teams that I coach. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah. Now that I'm sharing them with a softball coach that is a coach of softball coaches that I know. So it's going uphill also.
1: love that. The ripple, the ripple is spreading. And coaches is a passion of mine because I coached marathoners for 10 years. That's how I got interested in coaching.
0: Oh, yeah. Back I, in the day, I, I, did, a, I did a half yeah. marathon and you helped coach me through the things I would need to know and the, the hurdles yeah. I was going to have to face going through that. It was beautiful.
1: Yeah. So it's, uh you know, in dads, are coaches, my dad was my biggest and longest coach through what I call an unwavering belief in his four sons. He not for one second believed we weren't capable of great things. He didn't put pressure on us to do great things. He was a coach. He, he, uh, helped us flourish. And it's no, it's no mistake that my brothers and myself have all been financially successful, relationship successful. We're, um, uh, it's the Burke charm where we're magnetic people because we're authentically positive. And, and we like thinking big and we can lean into challenges with a positive mindset, not Pollyanna. We don't dismiss that there are problems in the world. We just lean into them with a positive mindset full of possibilities. So my dad is imperfect of a father as he was, as all dads are. He showed us the best things in life, which was the capability of ourself. And this is all I do. I, I brush away the negative stuff of the mind so dads can shine, like their real true self can get out to their kids instead of these, the jungle of the saboteurs of the mind.
0: That's awesome. So uh, you want to tell them where to reach you at And also, would you like to throw out a challenge, something they can do week to week, something maybe not necessarily simple, but something that can be accomplished in a week, uh, something that um, helps guys get better, uh, become better dads, become better husbands, become better physically, uh, whatever the challenge might be that you'd want to throw out would be awesome. Guys love a challenge.
1: They do. So um, the one answer is going to get both of these. So they can find my website. You'll you'll post it, but it's michaelburkcoaching.com. michaelburkcoaching.com. There's uh, in the various sections, there's a, a, a downloadable PDF that I want them to download. And in that download is a two-minute video. I want them to watch that thing and do the little mental fitness exercise in there as much as they can in the next week.
0: That's awesome. I'm not
1: going to give away the secret, Dan. You can, you know, if they go in there and watch this video, you can explain it to them and they can always call me. But what I want them to do is after they do this two minute little mental fitness exercise is take note of how they feel directly after doing that. Nice. Nice. Okay.
0: So I've done this so, two minute exercise. I'm quite certain a whole bunch of times.
1: Uh, you have done it many, many times. Um, the other thing that you can do in conjunction with that is to hear the voice in your head that says in some manner, you're not enough, or this situation is too hard. Hear that. Within your mind, label it, saboteur, and then do one of these two-minute exercises. Recognize it, label it, do the rep- do the exercise, the repetition. That that alone could radically change your life.
0: Absolutely,
1: can that has been proven over and over and over.
0: So science and faith, they actually go together. And so what of you just told do. them is on the science side, it's been tested, proven, and it's true. There's scientific background that bases this one up. So guys, thank you so, so much for listening. Appreciate it. Look forward to you guys sharing this one with, with others. Again, rate the podcast. It it means a lot. It helps other people come and check it out. Uh, Thanks for growing the podcast. And then uh, feel free to join the Facebook group, The Journey of a Christian Dad. It's free. Jump in with other Christian dads on the journey. Catch you guys next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. Helps me be accountable to myself.